Hello and welcome back to Nice Talks. This episode will be a little different as we're devoting it to celebrate 70 years of the NHS. Happy birthday to the NHS. So we've decided to look at how mental health care has changed over the last few years. How have things moved on since the 1950s and where are we going in the future? I asked Professor Matthew Thompson, a researcher from the University of Warwick, to take us back to 1948 when the NHS began. The NHS essentially inherited this vast 19th century asylum system. By the early 1950s, um, 150,000 people in mental hospitals, as they were called by then, they had been called mental asylums. Many of them had been intended for a far smaller number of people than were in these institutions by the time the NHS set up. By the end of the 19th century, there was a good deal of pessimism around the system. I think initially there had been a degree of optimism about the creation of this system of hospitals. And in retrospect, it was actually a pretty you know, amazing achievement to actually create all of those hospitals and to, 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 to fund them. In a sense, there was a, there was a kind of national asylum system before there was a national hospital system for the rest of the the population. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, when the NHS was founded, mental health was quite literally out of sight and out of mind. This is Paul Farmer, the CEO of mental health charity Mind. Yes, well, Mind itself was formed just a year or two before the formation of the NHS, and we were formed by the government of the day, who um, merged, forced the merger of three separate charities together, one of which meant, went by the name of the National Institute of Mental Hygiene, which I think tells you quite a lot about how people thought about mental health in those days. People with mental health problems were broadly speaking locked up in long stay asylums and as an issue it really wasn't on the agenda at all and it certainly wasn't a part of the initial thought processes around a national health service. And it wasn't until 1959 that a new mental health act was passed that did a little bit more to bring that system more firmly in line with the NHS and moved it further towards treatment being primarily on a voluntary basis rather than through certification. It, it coincided, I suppose, with a period of thinking about building hospitals in the NHS as a whole. It was just on the eve of Enoch Powell's famous Water Tower speech about mental hospitals in 1961, where he was talking to the National Association for Mental Health about what to do with this vast system of Victorian asylums. This was before Enoch Powell cast himself into political wilderness by giving his infamous Rivers of Blood speech in 1968. Um, And we were, and always have been, a campaigning organisation. So one of our first campaigns, our earliest campaigns in the 1950s, was really to shine a spotlight on the uh, often very inhumane conditions of the asylums. And that campaign led to the health minister of the day, who was 
Enoch Powell to stand up at a mind conference in 1961 and make a, a, fun, a really critical speech called the Water Tower speech, which announced the closure of those asylums. That was an absolutely critical turning point in terms of the way in which we think about mental health as an issue. And part of that was actually thinking about uh, moving away from uh, the mental hospital system and towards a system of community care. But what's happened over the course of that 70 years has been a significant shift in terms of the way in which we as a society and the NHS thinks about mental health. So we've seen at various points people uh, being uh, discharged from the long-stay hospitals, those hospitals have subsequently closed, then a period where uh, of the so-called care in the community phase where people were often not terribly well cared for, to a point now where I think we see mental health as a uh, increasing uh, priority both in health terms and also more widely across government. My name's David Haslam, I'm the chair of NICE. I think through the, through the last uh, 70 years of the NHS the massive change has been the uh, move to the community rather than large mental health hospitals. The, the old uh, mental health asylums that used to be dotted around the countryside and at the beginning of my career I remember uh, you know, working in units like this. Well we've moved well away from that. We've tried to bring as much care into the community as possible whilst recognising there is still sometimes need for inpatient care for, for specific problems. But it's a, it's a much more holistic human approach to mental health problems that I think the NHS has taken over over its lifetime. So as we have heard, the NHS has facilitated a practical change from the old-fashioned asylums to community settings. But there's another strand to this story. I think the other dimension to reflect on in terms of the, the NHS journey when it comes to mental health has been the voice of the patient. And I think the voice of the patient or service user or person with lived experience of mental health problems has been an incredibly important part of that journey. And in many ways, mental health has led the way when it comes to pay proper patient involvement in services. And the ideas of co-production and co-design, you know, I think is, is very embedded now in terms of the way in which mental health services are constructed and delivered. And I think alongside that is the really important role of the voluntary sector. And the voluntary sector has played a huge role across the NHS in a whole variety of different ways. But again, I think it's been instrumental in shifting some of the ways in which people think about mental health both inside and outside the NHS. You know, NICE wouldn't dream of producing a a guidance or a guideline without patient involvement and patient participation and that is that enriches the process and it enriches the experience. Well I'd absolutely agree with Paul and over my over my lifetime as a doctor I've seen medicine hopefully begin to shift from something that is done to people that something's that, that's done with people and why why would we not want to involve people with their own care within nice we use we work with patients and patient organizations uh, across all our work it's absolutely critical to to listen to understand, to get that perspective. It's not the doctor, the psychiatrist, the mental health nurse who's got the problem. It's the patient, the service user who has the problem. And so it's central to all our processes. What could the future of mental health look like? Well, I hope the future of mental health will look like we just talk about health. We don't separate 
the different types of physical and mental health because let's face it all any of us want is to be healthy and so if for instance uh, you've got something like rheumatoid arthritis many people with rheumatoid arthritis become depressed get tired that part of their care is just as important as the care of their swollen joints and so one of my passions is to to get rid of these distinctions to recognize that the physical problems of people with mental health problems are very important and the mental health problems of people with physical problems are very important and the whole distinction is probably nonsensical and historical but it's where we it's where we're coming from and hopefully we just move towards good care and then in terms of the the future direction for mental health as a cause as an issue prevention so really investing in thorough integrated prevention programs you know when most of us were at school we didn't receive a message about our mental health we really need to make that a systemic part of uh, part of school life and similarly in workplaces secondly uh, bringing treatment quality up to the, le- the levels of treatment quality for our physical health so many times people come and talk, t- talk to us about how shocked they are that their ability to access some of the most basic mental health services falls so far behind their equivalent experience if they've had a heart attack or a stroke or even a relatively minor physical injury. Certainly access to therapy has always been a challenge. I think there's, there's always been more demand for a need for therapies than availability at the moment. But there's a number of really interesting processes that have developed the whole uh, IAPT program. has been extremely important. We've been looking at uh, the accreditation of different types of online ways of helping people. Some people find this extraordinarily helpful. Others shy away from the thought of talking to a, uh, you know, to a machine or an algorithm. But what we do is look at the evidence. We look at what works, what's helpful, what's beneficial. And we don't come at it with any preset belief that one methodology is better than another. We have really open minds about this. And, you know, those, these are the big goals for, you know, for the next 70 years for the way in which we think about mental health. So that it does, we complete that journey from utter marginalisation to normality. So as we've heard from Paul, David and Matthew, a lot has changed in the last 70 years, but we still have a way to go. And please remember to get in touch with us. Your feedback really does matter and we love to hear from you. You can email us on nice at nice.org.uk. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at nicecoms. My name is Amy Thomas. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>